That song could um, practically be an anthem for our church. It's been an extremely difficult couple of years for those of you who are new, and I know there are a lot of first-timers here this morning. We've been through a lot these last few years. I lost my wife last year in March. Uh, not long after my wife was diagnosed with a brain tuber, uh, little Callie, Callie Moody was diagnosed with a tumor also, and um, we came alongside the Moody's and prayed, and God has blessed in so many wonderful ways. And this week they got news that there's a lesion on the brain, and, you know, could be the tumor is back, so it's going to be a very full week uh, for her. Woody Woodruff began uh, chemo this week. It's been a tough time for us, Um, but... You know, the message today is going to tell us not to just sit down. There are times where the Lord sits us down. He does. As a church, we are uh, quickly or mobilizing to uh, come alongside the Moody's. One of the things that we're doing is we're going to have a prayer chain, this this, uh, link, prayer links. These little pieces of paper, little strips are out in the uh, lobby on the... um, table out here and write your name and a message that you have for the Moody's. Now, uh, I know that Chad and Sarah will appreciate all the words. We are concerned that Chad will tear it up trying to play with it. Uh, Not so worried about Bella, but Chad, we don't know about him, you know. So uh, just write a message to them. Let them know that your hearts go with them up to Duke University this week. Uh, Their home fellowship is uh, very much engaged emotionally, and we're all about to get engaged every way that we can. And by the way, uh, one of the primary needs we're going to have is child care uh, for the little ones and students of the female gender. Uh, we would very much love for you to be involved. We, we could use your assistance, I'm absolutely certain. Not for pay, for ministry. So, please do this. Well, before we get to the message today, I just want to make you aware that next Sunday we're going to begin a series about the Trinity. The title of the message is going to, or the series, it's going to be all semester long, hopefully. I may run out of things to say in three or four weeks and then that'll be it. But the plan is to go all the way through this semester and the, the, the title is All of God. All of God. Exploring the mystery of the Trinity. At least in theological terms, there's a difference between a secret and a, and a mystery. And we'll talk about that next Sunday morning. But we're going to be doing uh, this, participating in this study, not only on Sunday mornings, but also in our home groups. And if you miss out on the home groups, you're going to miss out on a lot of what there is to know about the Trinity. And, and that starts this week. Those who home fellowships that are meeting today, you'll be talking tonight about the Trinity. I hope you're going to... Uh, I hope you are excited about learning about what many people consider to be the most important doctrine in Scripture, the doctrine of the Trinity. Certainly it separates us from all other religions and all other branches of groups that call themselves Christian according to our understanding of Scripture or not. On to this morning's message, and I'm a little nervous. I have an announcement to make. I'm in love. I mean, I, I can't help it. In spite of all of my efforts, I find myself deeply in love. Now, it may not be what 
your thinking. Uh, you see, I've been in love with this person for over 55 years. Um, I'm in love with me. In fact, since Psalm 51 indicates that I was conceived in sin, this love affair with myself has been going on uh, since before I was born. Is it, is it wrong? Is it wrong to love yourself? Well, not according to Oprah and all the other self-help gurus whose books not only grace our bookstore shelves, but also the grocery store, for goodness sakes. Does it seem ironic to you that the dieting books are, you know, in the grocery stores not far from the... Indeed, God assumes that we love ourselves. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes cherishes it just as Christ does. If you don't think that's true, watch a guy shave. You know, they never just go, mm, I hate to do this. You know, they're mm, mm, very, very careful. I know most of you use the other kind, but, you know, if you ever get to see somebody, you'll see how true that is. And don't forget, Jesus taught us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, the kind of love referred to in those passages is not the, the narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-focused kind of behavior that is so common and so encouraged today. You'll never find in Scripture, hey, you need a jacuzzi in your bathroom, in your master bath. You deserve it. Can you imagine trying to afford all the things that we're told that we deserve on commercials? You deserve this. You deserve. We don't deserve it, but we're told that we do. You know, it is true that if we fail to appreciate the person that God made us to be, it's going to be difficult to really give to others. I mean, usually, if we hate ourselves, we'll have a tendency to be irritable, to be short with, and even despise other people. Usually, hatred of moi means hatred of thou also. And when you think about it, hatred of self is often the result of an unhealthy focus on self anyway, right? So we should go ahead and love ourselves so that we'll be able to really give to other people, right? Uh, not in the way that we're encouraged to love ourselves today. When we love and pamper ourselves 21st century style, there's just not much left to give to anybody else. Focuses on me, and I really don't have time for you unless being nice to you benefits me somehow. So here we find ourselves at the beginning of a new year, the beginning of 2009. Isn't it just time that we get over ourselves? I think so. Our text this morning is 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 10. And before we before we read that, I want to explain to you something that was going on here uh, so that you'll understand some of the language that, that Paul was using. In Corinth, there were some, some very gifted, very eloquent speakers. And some of these super teachers, as they were almost called, or super apostles, the apostles in the early church did get beyond those 12 and, uh, that were at Pentecost. Uh, they, there were teachers that were considered apostles. They had the gift of, of being an apostle. And there were these super apostles, and, uh, or people who con were considered to be that anyway, who were saying, now look, just look at evidence here. 
Something's wrong with Paul. I mean, he, he's persecuted, he's poor. Look at us. We speak in, in languages that we don't know. God gives us these incredible visions. We're wealthy. He's just blessed us materially. You can't just keep listening to that guy. So Paul felt absolutely required to defend himself. Now, before we go any further, I, I, I want to speak to those of you especially who are without a job right now. Some of you have been unemployed for quite a while, and I would imagine that you could find yourself or feel like you are directly in the crosshairs of God's disapproval. Maybe even God's, God's punishment. He's punishing you. Or you feel that He just doesn't respond to your prayers like He does others. Hey, they got a miracle. We didn't. You know, he gets a job and he says, well, I just prayed, God, you know, God, uh, I just trusted the Lord and he came through with this job. Why didn't I get that? I understand how easy it would be to feel that way in today's world. But our text today hopefully will dispel that notion in your heart and mind. And you may find yourself if you're going through an extremely difficult spot in this life right now, whatever the circumstance is, it may be that you are among the most blessed among us. I know that sounds ridiculous. I hope maybe it won't seem so ridiculous at the end of the message. Well, because Paul had been attacked, and the very truth of the gospel was being challenged, he had to defend himself. He felt like a fool offering his credentials. So much so that he spoke quite hesitantly. He spoke in the third per- person. He said, I knew a man. And, 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 and a lot of times when that's done today, it's almost sort of a, a prideful way of talking about yourself. But not for Paul. He was just, he just, he, he was uncomfortable. He was deflecting and he said, I, I hate to brag. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you what's the case. But by the end of the passage, Paul was boldly proclaiming his boast in Jesus and in anything that would drive him to Jesus. And the things that drove him to Jesus were hardships, insults, weaknesses, etc. So let's look at our text today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. If you would, please stand, as is our custom, as we read the word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I must go on boasting though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. The body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one think more of me than he sees in me and hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan 
to harass me and to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, so uh, very often, the strength that we think that we have is a is a faux strength. It's a, it's a phony. We're presuming upon Your goodness and Your grace, thinking that so much of what we do is because we're such good guys. We're such strong men and women. We recognize that everything that we have comes from You. And yet, we recognize that only in theory much of the time. And so when you allow these difficulties to come into our lives, then our focus initially goes to self, but ultimately to you. And I don't know that there's anyone here, Lord, that can say with all the gusto that Paul said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Father, help us to see that the reason for that is so the power of Christ may rest upon us. Motivate us to just say, whatever, Lord, it's okay. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. He had to do it. It was absolutely necessary, but he didn't want to. He just didn't like it. You can tell he's not comfortable doing this at all. Fourteen years before he wrote this, which was, by the way, before his first missionary journey, before the Lord had ever used him in any ways that we know about, while he was studying, while he was preparing to be used, God said, okay, Paul, we're going up. And he took him up into heaven, right into the very presence where God dwells and the angels and all of that, the same place that John went to in the book of Revelation. Paul was there. He said that, did I go up? Was it, I mean, did my body or was it out of, I don't know. God knows. I, I, I can't tell you what I do know. I was told things that were amazing, beyond my ability to, to, to take in almost, and, and things that I can't even tell you about. And you need to know that that's why I'm an apostle and that's why you need to listen to me. It's not that I think I'm anything special, but God did this for me and your eternal destiny depends on whether or not you listen to the truth of the gospel that the Lord has shared with me. I'm not bragging. It's just the facts. It's just the way it is. But I tell you what I will brag about. My weaknesses. Doesn't sound very much like our world today, does it? Really wasn't like the first century world, but it's, it's worse all the time in our day. In fact, it would take a gigantic shift for us, even in the church, because the church is, we've cleaned it up and made this same thing that, 
that people are superstars and 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 people are blessed when they're successful and they're and they're, and there's something wrong with them when they're not successful. We've embraced that same and it would take a gigantic shift in our thinking to embrace Paul's spirit that that accepts weaknesses because those weaknesses allow Jesus to shine through us. Let's look again at Paul's heart coming through his pen in verses 6 through the first part of verse 9. Though if I should wish to boast, I, I would not be a fool, for I'd, I'd just be speaking the truth. I refrain from boasting so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now, that's the way I know a lot of you are today. People start to brag on you and you say, oh, no, no, that's not who I am. Actually, most of the time, we want people to think a whole lot better of us than we actually are. I mean, that's, you know, come on. Some of you families were duking it out on the way over here as students. I mean, and then you walk in the church and blessings of the Lord upon you, my brother, my sister. We don't want people to know who we are. We want them to think better. Paul said, look, God's done something really good for me, but I don't want you to think... This is about me. It's not about me. It's about Him. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pled with the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, it's important to recognize that our call to humility is not because we're nothing. It's because of maybe some great things that God has done for us. And He's wanting our perspective and the world's perspective about us and about Him to be kept in the, pra- in, in the right place. Paul had, been, had granted this an extreme privilege. And he's, but he kept passing the glory right on to God. You have to think that maybe God God knew some of the persecutions that were in store. <laughs> and, and I imagine that trip to heaven uh, sustained him in some very difficult times. Now, because of the gifts that Paul had been given, God sent him a reminder of the limitations that are upon all humans, both Christ followers and those who are not children of God. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh, by God. I mean, technically, Satan provided the particular pain, but Paul understood very clearly that this was God's in God's will for his life. So what was his thorn in the flesh? You got any ideas? Anybody have any ideas? Not, I'm asking you to spit them out. I tell you this, if you have a strong opinion about what his thorn in the flesh was, well, then you have a strong opinion, and that's all. We don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. We know what it was not. His wife. Paul was single. He wasn't married. So, ladies, you get a pass. You know, and and I'm sure some of you are saying, well, you ought to be around my house. I'll tell you who the thorn is. All kinds of physical and emotional ailments have been offered as, you know, suggested as, as possibilities for this thorn. I doubt seriously that it was a struggle for sin. I got saved when I was 18 years old, and I'm telling you, I packed a lot of wicked living into those teenage years before I got saved. God radically changed my life. And I 
There were a lot of things that I just so gladly and willingly gave up when I, when Jesus found me, when Jesus brought me uh, into the family of God. A lot of stuff I gave up. There was one thing that was extremely difficult for me to give up. It was smoking, smoking cigarettes. Uh, if you've tried to quit, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Miserable. I had a pastor tell me, that's probably your thorn in the flesh. I was a brand new Christian, and I said, I don't think so. I didn't tell him, but I, I and, and, and it's highly unlikely that your temptation to sin, whatever it is, whatever struggle you have, is your thorn in the flesh. That's not what he's talking about. But it could be some physical or emotional or chemical struggle. A lot of things have been suggested and probably <laughs> any of them could be true. In fact, it's, it's probably a good thing, is it not, that, that, that God did not tell us what Paul's thorn in the flesh was because then we'd think, be thinking, well, that's the only thing that you know qualifies as a thorn. But you're, you and I both, both may have a thorn and they may look quite different from one another. Maybe something entirely different. So there's fairly broad application. It, it's not that Paul initially welcomed his particular thorn. He said, three times I pleaded with God, just like Jesus begged God in the garden, if there's any other way that salvation's plan could be accomplished for, besides me going to the cross and you turning your back on me. If there's any way this can be accomplished, please allow it. In the same way that God said no to Jesus, He said no to Paul. But He gave an explanation. And in so doing, He provided an explanation for all of us. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't think there are too many of us who follow Jesus who would say, especially not in a crowd of other Christians, that humility is a negative factor. We, we would rather profess a desire for humility. Oh, I want to be humble. It's like, you know, you hear people say, well, everybody wants to be a servant. Nobody wants to be treated like one. You know, it's just the way we are. Tim Keller, in the December issue of... Uh, 2008 issue of uh, Christianity Today talks about this problem with humility. I mean, he notes that there is arrogance and pride all around us. People just speak so arrogantly, and and we look at that, and and then he says, "quote If we notice a humble turn of mind in ourselves, we immediately become smug. But that's pride in our humility. If we catch ourselves doing that." We will be particularly impressed with how nuanced and subtle we have become. Oh, wait a minute. I can't be proud of my humility. Boy, that's pretty good to notice that I'm proud of my humility. I mean, you just can't win with this thing. You never get this. As soon as you think you've got humility, it's, it's gone. So you know what God does? He makes it a little easier for us. He provides opportunities for us to be humble. It's never a bad thing to be in a place that requires humility on our part. A physical handicap, a medical condition, a job loss, 
family issue, you fill in the blank. It's never a bad thing to be in a place where humility is required. There are all kinds of circumstances that cause us to make a choice. When life throws us a curve... No, wait a minute. When Satan throws us a... No. When God throws us a curve. Will we rest in God's will for our lives and be humble? Or will we take the easy route and succumb to humiliation? There is a difference, you know, between humility and feeling humiliated. Humility is a positive spirit. It's an acceptance of our place in God's world, in God's kingdom. What He's doing, it's it's like, okay, God, I I accept this. Humiliation, on the other hand, is the exact opposite almost. It's a negative spirit that that can manifest itself in, in absolute despair or angry defiance. You have humiliated me. You ever said that or heard that? So there's a big difference in our spirit. If you are tempted to think or you hear people say, humiliation is good for the soul. No, it's not. Because that, again, is all back to me. I'm worried about me and what people think about me. Humility is good for the soul. We can find ourselves humiliated when things go badly and when our security is based in who we are rather than in who God is and who we are in Jesus. Humility begins when we rest in Jesus' words to Paul and thus to all of his followers. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most of us want to shine in this world. We want others to think highly of us, to admire us, to be proud of us. But Jesus doesn't want us to shine. He wants to shine through us. Which would you rather have? You shining or Jesus shining through you? How do you want it? It's going to be one or the other. Well, not necessarily. You may not be letting Jesus shine, but you ain't shining either. But most of the time, we want it to where there's some shine. And since we don't really get this Jesus shining through us, let's just go with me shining, okay? No, let's don't. Let's don't. It's 2009. Let's get over ourselves and allow Jesus' power to come through us in our weaknesses. And Jesus' power in our lives should be our motivation to accept the messengers of humility in our lives. It's not that we welcome hardship in some sort of stoic way so that we can feel good about our strong will and our self-discipline. I can handle these problems. I welcome the problems. It's not the point. Paul begged for the problems to go away. But then the Lord said, no, I, I have a reason for it. So he said he would gladly boast in his own weaknesses so that the power of Christ could rest upon him. Don't miss this point. It's the same language that was used in John 1.14 where we're told that Jesus came to this earth and dwelt among us or literally tabernacled. Remember the Old Testament? The tabernacle represented the presence of God. Whenever the children of Israel would move, they'd pick, pick up this tent, tabernacle, they'd fold it all up, and then they'd go somewhere else and they'd put it down and that's where they would go to meet God. And so when Jesus came to this earth, He tabernacled with us or literally pitched 
His tent among us. Now, what's being said in 2 Corinthians 12 here is something that's not readily um, available to us. All right, now think about what, what we're talking about here. Jesus pitches his tent among the weak, but we don't really believe that. In fact, most of us believe that Jesus pitches his tent among the successful. When everything's going on, everything good is happening. I can't tell you how many people, well, not a lot, but some, were just absolutely bold enough to say that it was my lack of faith that caused my wife to die. Or her lack of faith or whatever. It's just crazy. But you know what? Most of us wouldn't go that far. But we look at a person's life and we say, good things are happening to him, God must be pleased. Bad things are happening to her, just can't be walking with the Lord. Can't be. But don't miss what we're told here. God pitches his tent. His power rests on the weak. So who are we going to go with? God or what society says? Are we going to go with what God says? Or what the contemporary church says? I think we probably ought to go with God. So stop and let this passage, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, let it just wash over your soul. I'm going to give you a minute. Just look at it. Look at it in your, in your Bible. Read it and let it wash over you. Verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. Are you aware of any weaknesses in your life? Insults. Anybody insulted you lately because of your love for Jesus? Anne Hathaway is going to wear a ribbon at the inauguration to protest Rick Warren for saying what he believes about Scripture. She was going to turn her back on him, but she said, no, that'd be too rude. I'm sure if he's following this passage, he says, okay, okay. I don't, I don't, I'm not mad with her. She's got a right to say what she wants. I say what I say because it's what I believe God says in His Word. And I'm willing to take insults if people disagree. Hardships. I think that's just the most difficult thing. Oh, not the most difficult thing, but just one of the things that just looms so large for the Moody's right now. It's going to be hard. Persecutions and calamities. Calamities, for goodness sake. The man says, I'm content with calamity. Not that he welcomed them, but I am content. When everything is, my whole world is falling apart, I'm content. Notice how carefully... His words are chosen. He didn't seek out hardships. He was no fanatic who found some sort of psychological satisfaction in self-induced, self-inflicted troubles. What he did say is, when they come, I'm okay. And he's already given the reason that he was content with circumstances that forced him to be humble. It was for the sake of Christ. And in those circumstances, Paul found some personal benefit also. For when I am weak... 
then I'm strong. Well, most of us go to great lengths to hide our weaknesses, don't we? Even though we're well acquainted with the teachings of Scripture, we can find ourselves easily thinking, or at very least subconsciously, even if we're, we don't think about it all the time, that troubles in our lives indicate a character flaw, or, or even worse, God's displeasure with me. And most of the time, most of the time, when trouble comes upon people and they move in that direction about thinking about God's displeasure, they get real defensive and, you know, what's, why's God doing this to me? The cross, folks, think about the cross. The next time you're tempted to think, why me? Why has God done this to me? Think about the cross. That's what he did to Jesus, even though Jesus begged, no, please. And Jesus said, okay, you know why he did it? For us. Because of our sin. Well, even if we don't think that this is God's judgment on me, we're worried that others, other people will, so we try to hide. And we say, uh, just try to avoid weaknesses in any way we can. But what if this passage were true? I mean, what if this really were true? That all of these things work to our advantage and for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus. Of course we believe it's true, but we we don't usually embrace it as we should. One of the reasons that we fail to actually sell out totally to the truth of this passage is that we're so full of ourselves. So let's get over that. Let's get past it And make this year not about me. Make it about Jesus for the sake of Jesus. And let's make it about others who need us, especially those who are really hurting, that need to see a tangible expression of God's love for them. Come alongside and put an arm around them. It's time that we rest in God's will for our lives. And that doesn't mean that we quit trying to make our lives better. That's not the the point at all this morning. It's not what I'm saying. The point is, is when God brings something into our lives that is beyond our control, just rest. Just accept it. I've been thinking about trust that way the last month or two. And it's helped me a lot. Just to think about trust in terms of rest. Just okay. I'm just going to rest. Rest in these circumstances. Rest in God's promises. And humbly accept the thorn in the flesh. That's what we need to do. Accept the weaknesses that God has built into our lives. When I am weak, then I am strong. But I've got to get over me to get to that place. So let's pray. Father, we confess our our desire to shine. Our desire, Lord, troll. Our desire for happiness and ease of life and great success. We can. And while we recognize it is no way wrong to seek better lives, 
and to do everything we can to be in the best shape possibly, physically and possible, physically and, and emotionally, so that we might be used of you in the kingdom. But sometimes your plan, Lord, is to use us when we're just at the lowest point. And so, we pray that your Spirit would empower us just to rest. And that your Spirit would mold us into the image of your Son. And Lord, that begins looking at His cross. Change us, in Jesus' name.